This is week three of our series that we have named Acts Lesson Lessons from the Early Church. How y'all feeling? It's a rainy Wednesday. Everybody good? Did that rain make anybody want to just stay home a little bit? Thank you for being here. I was kind of worried when I saw a thunderstorm warning. I was like, oh no, everybody's going to stay home. Man, I'm so excited about what God is doing uh, in our midst. Um, you need to know that God moves in miraculous ways. And we have seen God move just in the first two chapters of Acts. We have seen him move in some miraculous ways. So far, we've learned two lessons. Our first lesson that we learned was that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. How many of you in here are excited to know that God fulfills his promises? Have you seen God fulfill promises in your life? Praise the Lord. Last week was just a sweet time diving into what is known as Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming and filling His people. And we learned this second lesson, the Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. We talked about how the Holy Spirit empowers His disciples to proclaim the gospel, how the Holy Spirit empowers the lost to be saved, and how the Holy Spirit indwells God's children. Those are just some of the lessons that we learned. And tonight, we are still in Acts chapter 2. So I hopefully, you have been reading and studying in Acts and, and learning from Acts 2. And we're going to be in the latter part of the chapter. How many of you have ever been a part of a sports team? Raise your hand. All right. For the non-athletes like me, how many of you are part of a club instead of a team? All right. How many of you have been a part of a work group where you were the one that did most of the work and the rest of the team just goofed off? All right. Amen. Now we're connecting, right? You know, you have these, these ideas and these levels of community within your, your life, whether it's a team, whether it's a club, whether it's a work group that you're forced to be in. And what I want to do tonight is just to, to really lean into this lesson that we learned. Because what we experienced last week in the book of Acts is we experienced the birth of a movement. It was more than just a movement, but it was the church. It was the church that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 16. Yay! Amen. When Jesus was asking Peter, he said, who do they say I am? He says, they talk about, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, others say you're the prophet that is to come. And he says, who do you say I am? And he talks about, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, this, Peter, is true. And this is what I will build my church upon and the gates of hell will not come against it. The church is a miraculous thing. It is better than any club. It is better than any team. And tonight, we're going to dive into this lesson. A God-centered community is unified. A God-centered community is unified. Now, I'm going to need you to bear with me. Tonight is going to be completely different than the last two nights because you actually are going to help preach and teach this lesson with me. I'm going to be asking a couple of questions and we're going to walk through this text 
and I'm going to force you to talk to somebody that's beside you. I know. Why would we talk about something like community and actually be forced to talk to somebody, right? That's what I want to do. I want your help. And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to take about three minutes with the people around you. And I seriously want you to lean into this question. This question, it says, I don't have it memorized. Why is the community, why is community important? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Why is community important? Now, this is what I want you to think about. What is it that you get from being a part of a community? Now, yes, you can be part of a church, absolutely, but there's other aspects of other aspects of community that you have been in through your out, throughout your life. In your groups, I want you to talk about what are the benefits of a community? What are, the, what are the examples of community? And what are the struggles with community? But really trying to answer this question, why is it important to be in community? Why is community important? Now, I'm serious, guys. This will be a very boring time if you don't actually work with me. All right? So when I ask questions in a minute, I'm going to need your responses. All right, so let's take three to four minutes, and I want you to answer this question with someone, with someone, all right, and actually talk about this and answer this question, why is community important? Go. All right, good job, everybody. Everybody give yourself a hand. Y'all did phenomenal. You spoke to somebody. I heard good chatter. All right, so let's answer this question. Somebody help me. Give me one of, like a one word, why is community important? Give me some words that we can write down. Help, help. did I hear help? Account. All right, y'all are using these such big words. Accountability, sorry about my handwriting. Did I hear collaborate, collaborative? Collaboration. Trust? Did I hear trust? Strength? Strength in numbers. That's good. Rejuvenation. Now, come on. Are you trying to find hard words for me to spell? Rejuvenation. Strength. I like strength better, okay? I can spell strength. Rejuvenation. <laughs> there we go. So it's not confused with rejection. Let's just reju rejuve. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Prayer. Prayer. I like it. So when we think about community, we think about um, prayer. All right. So we think about when we work together, there's help that comes along. There's, there's accountability. Now, we say that we like accountability in community until somebody tries to hold me accountable about something that I don't want to be held accountable about. Right. And so now we say, hey, accountability is good in community. That's why we need that. Until somebody walks up to you and says, hey, have you been reading your Bible like you're supposed to? Or, hey, I noticed how you talked to so-and-so last week. I don't know if that honored the Lord. Right? Now, we want accountability until somebody starts calling out our sin. Right? That's, isn't that so true? So but if we think that accountability is an important part of community, we need to be ready and willing to receive positive and even quote-unquote negative accountability. 
collaborative or to collaborate, to work together, to bring to bed. Do you really truly believe that you can do more together than you can apart? See, when we talk about young adult ministry, we talk about all that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's locally, nationally, or internationally, or even in this room, you know, this tonight just doesn't happen. There's teams apart of the young adult ministry that come early, set up chairs, that come early and make coffee, that come early even on Tuesday night to help practice worship. You're working together. That collaboration makes a night like this happen. Trust. Trust has to be a part of every type of community because whether it's a work group or whether it's a church group, if you can't trust the people that you're around, is it really helpful community? So think about that. Strength. I think that goes back into that collaborative piece. There's strength in numbers. One of the things that I love about working on a team is that I have the ability to take the strengths of others and put them up against my weaknesses. Screensaver should have fixed that. So just think about that. Rejuvenate. Like to, re, to put, let's say another word for rejuvenate would be encourage. You know, there's other simpler words to spell, okay? I'm just saying. There's just that option that we can just come in and be rejuvenated and can be encouraged and given strength back. And then this idea of prayer within a God-centered community is so important. And we're going to see that here. So tonight, as we kind of walk through this passage together, and I really want this to be a journey that we take together my desire is that we really find and discover in this passage really five actions that you can look for in a God-centered community. And those five actions will help you to know whether or not that God-centered community is moving in the right direction. Or if that God-centered community is exemplifying the church in Acts chapter 2. We need to be ready and willing to be a part of God's church. Because Jesus said in Matthew 16 that it is the church that the gates of hell will not come against. Right? Not a team, not a club, not a Bible study, but it's the church. Not even YA worship. YA worship is a great thing, but is it a church? It's a part of what church? Bellevue. It's, about a, it's a part of a greater church. Uh, a greater community that is Bellevue. So we're going to look at these five actions and we're going to navigate and walk through and see how God is using um, this piece. Now, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and that's where we're going to start. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right in. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you for this passage. And Lord, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word and that you will do above and beyond all that we can ask or think as we investigate and as we learn about how a God-centered community is unified. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. So when we talk about these five actions that we're going to look at, the first action is this, a godly community, a godly community displays devotion. A godly community displays devotion. Now when I say devotion, right, really that is a, a connectedness, this I am going to be for this cause. I am devoted. I'm going to put all that I can into it. I'm going to make sure that it's successful. I invest in it. I sacrifice for it. You, when we, a lot of times we'll use the word devotion when we're talking about relationships. I'm devoted to this person or I'm devoted to this cause. But when we're talking about the church and a God-centered community, a godly community, we see that a godly community is wholly devoted. All right, now... Let's go into verse 42, only verse 42, and in your groups, I want you to write down everything that this group of people that is the early church. Now, somebody remind me, how many people is a part of this church as, as far as we know right now? Happened last week, it was a great day, and so many souls were added to the church. How many of our souls were those? 3,000 souls, right? Remember the end of our passes last week. We talked about 3,000 people being saved. And that's minimum of what the church looked like because we know that there were believers as a part of that. So we have at least 3,000 people, most likely more. What were they devoted to in the first days and weeks of the church? Take a minute in your groups and figure out what they devoted themselves to. Go. All right, didn't give you as much time because that was an easy question and I want to talk some more. All right, so here we go. All right, so we got devoted. Somebody throw out something. What are they, what are they devoted to? Teaching. Who's teaching? Why do we think it's important to know that it was the apostles teaching? Because they were with Christ. They were passing that which they had heard to somebody else. It was the apostles teaching. And at that moment, they were the ones that had the corner on good theology, Right? So that's important. So the apostles' teaching, good. Fellowship. They like to party. That's okay in a godly way, right? Fellowship. What else? Prayer. I heard prayer. It's right there in the text, guys. I'm not trying to trick you. Breaking of bread. Can we just put food? Amen, amen, amen. I like food. Anything else? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So when we say that they devoted themselves, that means that they passionately pursued these things in community. Now, I don't know what type of team or type of club or type of group you've ever been in, but these are some things that I could get behind. Fellowship, prayer, food, apostles' teaching, Biblical teaching, teaching that is true, a term that I like to use a lot that's not used a ton now, it's called orthodox. 
Orthodox, sometimes we think that's a bad word, but orthodox means true biblical teaching. God's way, the Bible way. Orthodox teaching. That's what they were committed to. They were devoted to living in this community to these things. Now, if we are devoted to prayer, if we're devoted to fellowship, the apostles' teaching and food, this was the inception of the early church. This is what they committed themselves to. Then the question comes for us, are we doing the same thing in this community that we're in right now? Now, there's so much here. It says that they devoted themselves to these things. And this is where we have to just step into our culture and our context to just make sure that we get this. Later on in the passage, and I'll cover a little bit later, it talks about day by day. See, whether you know it or not, you're born in the United States or you're living in the United States. Being a part of our culture in the Western world is what we would call it. Now, if you're here from another country or another culture, you may have a different set of values, but if we are looking at this idea of worldview, it has implications on how we do church. And those implications are not always healthy because as a Westerner, right? And that's not a bad word. It's just reality. You are more geared towards individualism. You are more geared towards compartmentalism. So individualism says, I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. And I don't really want anybody else's help unless I need them to get to where I want to be. You ever had a relationship like that? Where you have been used by someone to help them get where they want to be? Or don't always think you're so holy. Or you use somebody to get to where you wanted to be. Individualism compartmentalism. What that means is what I do at church is my church time. What I do at work is my work time. What I do at my home is my home time. And we put these things in these blocks and we don't let them cross. Man, that is such a sad way to live. If we just look at this one verse that they were devoted, they displayed devotion and they displayed devotion to prayer, to fellowship, to the apostles teaching and to food do we really feel like that we're doing this well if we minimize it to Sunday? Or we minimize it to Wednesday? Now, don't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> don't hear what I'm not saying. Wait, I don't know. I said that wrong. Hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Just say it. I'm not saying you have to be at 2000 Appling Road seven days a week right? This is a building. This is, this is not the church. And I'm not saying that you have to wait for Tanya and the team to plan events so that you can be wholly devoted all the time. But what this does mean is that you are going to be devoted to prayer, to fellowship, to the apostles teaching and to food every step of the way. What does that look like on a Monday? What does that look like on a Tuesday or a Thursday? 
Are you wholly devoted? Are you living in community? The world, your worldview is telling you that you don't need that. Scripture is saying that you do. A God-centered community is unified and a godly community displays devotion. And it's not just a wild devotion. It is a devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Y'all tracking with me? The second action that we've got to be willing to see in a godly community is this. A godly community unifies diversity. I love that statement. A godly community unifies diversity. And normally that kind of sounds like an oxymoron. An oxymoron is we take two things that are normally opposites and put them together for a whole new meaning. Like bittersweet, that's an oxymoron, right? You, how do you take unity and diversity and put them together and say that it works out right? It happens in the church. Well, Ben, how do you know that? Well, it's real easy. Let's go back to what we read last week. If I can find it. This is so good. Go in to Acts chapter 2. Look at start, We'll start in verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Now, they're hearing the gift of tongues. They're hearing their own language from these Galileans who do, should not speak their home language. Now, I believe that the majority of the people that were in this culture, in this context, that they, that they spoke a similar dialect, that they had a dialect that they could communicate together with. But yet what they were hearing was their heart language. And their heart language communicates so much better than what we would call like the language of the marketplace. Are y'all tracking with me? And so listen. It says, how do we hear each of it in our own language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This melting pot of a community that was the church was diversity, but it was unified. A godly community unifies diversity. That's why within a church setting like this, you can have church, uh, cultures come together. Different ethnicities come together. Different um, talents. I like that. Talents. Thank you. People are talking back to me. Y'all are getting me. This is good. Talents and this idea of... Um, socioeconomic, education, where you grew up, all of those things come together in a beautiful unity because the Holy Spirit is unifying this community together. And so there is unity in diversity. All right, take a minute with your groups. And I want you to just think about and in your groups talk about this idea of diversity. What does diversity in unity look like at 2000 Appling Road in our church at Bellevue Baptist Church. Go. Church. What does it look like right now? Or what should it look like if we're not seeing it? All right. <clears throat> Unified diversity. What does that look like in our culture, in our context? What you saw in the early church is you saw all of these cultures coming together. 
worshiping in one place and doing all of these things together. But what does that look like for us today? What does unified diversity look like for the church today? Somebody give me some words that I can write down. Acceptance. Oh, I like that. Okay, go. Oh, it's so slow. I'm so slow. I need it. I need it. So acceptance. Uh, there was what was the one over here? All ages. Yeah, that's it. You mean it's okay to hang out with older people and older people hang out with younger people? And I don't know. That seems kind of foreign to me. I heard, there was something over here I didn't hear. Cohesive. Did I hear like cohesive or something like that? Cohesive. Somebody like define cohesive for me. What, what, what does that mean in the context of a church? Yeah, I work together. Okay. I keep on thinking of adhesive, you know, like, <laughs> like you're stuck together. There's some people I don't want to be stuck to. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> cohesive. What, what else? Spiritual gifts. Man, that's good, Daniel. So you got this, this idea of giftings. You mean we have to put up with other people that have different personalities than ourselves? Okay, personalities. Perception. We have to be willing to see and perceive from different perceptions. Perception. I'm going to get somebody else to write this stuff for me next time. This is good. What about, let's talk about this idea of cultures. Should there be multiple cultures within a church? Do we see that in the early church? See, what, what I love about this idea of culture is that culture is... So sometimes it can be almost um, argumentative or it can bring up division within the church. Cultures are different for a reason, but they all display God's glory and his creativity and how they communicate and how they look and all of that. See, but here's the problem. Many times we get in this position where we think our culture is best because it's what we know. It's what we're comfortable with. There's a missions term that we use. It's called ethnocentrism. It's where you think basically your culture is the center of the world and what you do is the best. Now, you know why it's the best to you? And it doesn't matter what culture you're from, everybody experiences it. It's because it's what your normal is. What I love about the church is the church is a beautiful way for us to celebrate our differences. Different is different. Different's not bad. Right? So I can look at cultures that I don't maybe understand. I can see how they worship God. I can see how they teach and how they preach. And if, if they're not going against anything that is biblical, should we celebrate that or try to push it down? Celebrate it. Bring it together. And we're, if I had time, I would go into Acts chapter 6 where you see the clash of these cultures. They were arguing over the widows being served. And they're like, hey, why are the Gentile widows being overlooked and all the Jewish widows are getting all the food? What that was is that was a clash of cultures. But culture is so important to this church. It's unified diversity. And this is my, this is my, my challenge to you. Be around different cultures. Find people that are different from you, that know and trust you, and ask them questions about their culture. Get to know why they do what they do or 
and allow them to know why you do what you do. Because different is just different. It's not bad. What, how beautiful would the church be if we could just get a hold of that? That the church is unified diversity. It worked in the early church. Why can't it work now? I've got five actions and I'm only on action two. Y'all are so good at this. All right. Action number three is this. A godly community exhibits supernatural generosity. Now, this is where y'all know, Ben, you can talk about a lot of things, but you can't start talking about my wallet, right? Go ahead and look with me in this scripture. We're going to go to verse 43. And all came uh, upon everyone and every soul and many wonders and signs were being done in the apostles. And all who believed were together. This goes back to that common, that unified diversity. And they had all things in common. Now, they were together, but different. They had all things common, but yet a multitude of cultures were in this, this space. Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as all as any had need. Do me a favor. Get in your groups and talk about generosity, supernatural generosity. What does that look like in the church today? Now, I'm not asking any of you to go and sell all of your possessions. Now, please hear me. But... If you need a Venmo or a Cash App, you just let me know. I've got one ready for you, right? If you want to share some of your wealth with me, I'll take it. That's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Now, does God call people to do that? Absolutely. There are some people that God calls to that. But what does supernatural generosity look like? Let's just boil it down in a group like this. In the young adult ministry... With somebody beside you, I want you to discuss what supernatural generosity could look like in your life. Now, can you be generous if you do not have financial means? You can be generous. We always gravitate to generosity being linked to econo economy, and it's not. So how can you be generous, supernaturally generous, even if you do not have an abundance of money. All right, take time, talk, go. All right, let's talk about it. Generosity. What does supernatural generosity look like today? Even in the young adult ministry, what does supernatural generosity look like? Who's got some words for me? Serving. Obedience. I heard something about time. What else? Comfort zones, getting out of your comfort zone. Whew. That is, that is so good. Can we just land there for a minute? Like, that is so good. I'm going to have her come speak. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that, our comfort zone is something that we are stingy with, isn't it? Like, to, to say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and talk to somebody that I don't know. Man, that is something that we can be stingy with. That is so good. I'm going to write that down. Man, y'all are smart people, smarter than me. Comfort zone. Man, I don't want to be stingy with my comfort. I want, I, want to be, I want to be willing to put myself in uncomfortable situations for the glory of God and His kingdom, right? 
What else? What else can we be supernaturally generous with? Sacrifice. What did you say? Mindset. Sacrifice. Knowledge. That's going to go, that goes well with uh, mindset. Hey, just to kind of go into this idea of knowledge, like if you know a lot of stuff, if you're a Bible scholar and you're not teaching and discipling others, are you being stingy with your knowledge? Right, so think about that. And guys, I'm, I have, none of y'all said that? Yes, ma'am. Okay, go for it. Friendly. Friendly, being friends. That's exactly right. With our emotions, being friends. Phenomenal. That is so good. So we're going to do friends. Say it one more time. Paying it forward. Giving uh, to somebody without expecting something in return. Ooh. Goodness great. I could preach a sermon on that. That is so good. For, uh, I started paying it forward and I wrote, that's supposed to be forward. And forgiveness is going to come up here. I got forgiveness in my head. I love this. This is me writing poorly. Now, I, I heard paying it forward, but nobody really said this. Sometimes y'all got money, right? Sometimes God's going to move you to take a little bit out of your pocket and give it to somebody else. And that, but do it when God tells you to do it. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, do it. I remember one time in my early, earlier in my faith, I drove by this house. I'm from rural East Tennessee. And there was this family, and I knew they had next to nothing. They lived in a broken down trailer, and I knew they had next to nothing. And I was driving by in my 1989 Dodge Dakota. I was probably 18, 19 years old. And the Lord said, hey, stop by and give them everything that you have. I had six or seven dollars in my pocket. And I told God no. Man. I told God no. You know why I told him no? It's not because I didn't want to give my money away. It was because I, I was embarrassed. That all I had to give was six dollars. And I have thought about that in my life. And my thinking is like, what if six dollars is all they needed to pay an electric bill? What if $6 was all they needed for a gallon of milk or for baby formula? And then I sit there and I tell God, no. Man, what blessing did I miss out on because I wasn't willing to live in supernatural generosity? And that's not really supernatural, right? $6? But I was unwilling to give because of embarrassment. Man, what would it look like if we were willing to be generous with our comfort, our time, our knowledge, our friends, our money, our service, our obedience? Man, what would it look like? We would look like the church. That's what we would look like. A God-centered community exhibits supernatural generosity. i got to finish this quickly. So the fourth action is this. A godly community influences the world around them. A godly community influences the world around them. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There's food again. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with how many people? How many? Even the people that didn't look like them, talk like them, believe like them? Is that what all means? Or does all mean just some? All means all. So you mean in this God-centered community, what was happening is, is they were influencing the people around them so much so that they found favor with all people. What would it look like for our church, Bellevue Baptist Church, to find favor with all people? What would it look like? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here. I'm going to get in trouble. Shoot. This is so good. Because it's convicting me. <laughs> when you start getting convicted underneath, what would it look like for us to be um, in favor with LGT? Help me out. LGB. I'm so sorry, guys. One person, tell me. LGB. T, Q, Q plus, A A I is it A I plus? All right, y'all y'all know where I'm going. See, it's real easy to be find favor with all people, but what if those people believe something dramatically different than us? What does it look like for us to be found in favor with Muslims? with the poor. And for that matter, for the rich. Now, hear me. To be found to have, be found in favor, does that mean we compromise our beliefs? Does that mean that we ever go against Scripture or what it teaches? No. We believe what the Scripture says about marriage, about identity, about same-sex, homosexuality, all of those things. We believe what the Bible teaches, and that could be a whole other lesson, but we can love somebody and find favor with them even if we disagree. What would it look like if we as a church could be okay with disagreeing but not being disagreeable? So many times... We are out of favor with these groups and we don't have a voice to speak the truth to them because all they see is what we're against. Do we need to proclaim what we're against? Yes, in love and help people walk through that. What If somebody that's a part of either one of these communities or add the community that we, that we don't agree with, there's hundreds of them, right? We don't agree with everybody. But what does it look like from someone from that community to come in here and to experience this idea that the, a godly community influences the world around them that just because they're with us, they see God's love, they hear God's love, and they respond to God's love. Amen. This is hard, right? Because what we have a tendency to think is, is if we try to be in favor with all men, if it's agreeing with them and the sin that they walk in and through. That is not what I'm saying. 
but it means that we live our lives in such a way that we find favor with all people and that we can influence them for what purpose? For the gospel, for the church. And the last action that we can see from a godly community, a God-centered church is this, a godly community will grow. Verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day. Now, not just people. These are specific people. What kind of people are being added to the church day by day? What's it say there? Those that are what? Being saved. That is so good. Those that are being saved. If we as a church start to exemplify and live out these actions as a church, the Bible is clear. If we lift Christ up, He draws people to Himself. So maybe the reason our church doesn't grow or doesn't grow like it should is because we are not lifting up Christ like we should. And one way that we can lift up Christ is this way. A godly community displays devotion. A godly community unifies diversity. A godly community exhibits supernatural generosity. A godly community influences the world around them. And a godly community, I believe, when it does these things, can't help but grow. Young adults, this is church. This is Acts 2 church, brand new, and they lived out these things. They lived in this way. May it be said of us that we are a God-centered community that is unified. That's my prayer. That's my desire. That's the lesson that we need to learn tonight. That's it. We're walking now into a time of invitation and a time of reflection. And the application is really easy. You are a part of this church. Is there any of these actions that we've talked about that you are not a part of, or that you are not exhibiting, that you are not doing? Are you wholly devoted? Do you accept and live in diversity? You want to experience diversity in such a way that it reflects the beautiful character of God and the people He created? Are you navigating in supernatural generosity? Are you influencing those around you so that even those that you differ the most from, you have favor with? Whatever it is in our church that we need to let go of so that we can get more of this, let's let go of it. Let's let go of our bias. Let's let go of our prejudice. Let's let go of our things and give them to God. 
Because when we do that, we will see a God-centered community that will change the world. If this group of people right here, right now, I promise you, if you start living out Acts chapter 2 in such a way, it will change our church. This small group of people living the way God has ordained will change our church, can change the world. You know why I believe that? Because of the, the book that we're reading right now. This small group of people changed the world 2,000 years ago and it's still changing lives today. Man. Be a part of a church like that. Hey, and if you don't think Bellevue is this, what are you doing to make Bellevue that? See, there's options. You can go find another church, but I guarantee you're not going to find a church that's doing it all right. So if you see a blind spot, if you see something that we're missing, if we're not living in supernatural generosity, if we're not living in unified diversity, what are you doing to help bring that about in Bellevue Baptist Church? Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a part of our church. What would it look like for you to join this church and say, hey, this is where God is calling me to plant my life so that I can be a part of a God-centered community? Christian, if you are here today and you do not belong to a church, you are missing out on what God has for you. That's just plain and simple. Maybe you're not a part of a God-centered community because you don't know Christ. This has not been an evangelistic sermon, but that doesn't mean that somebody can't be saved here tonight. If you need Jesus and you need a relationship with Jesus, I will be over there. Our team will be over there. We would love to talk to you about that.